day it is. Thank you so much for being here, being a part of uh, the body here of Christ in Montrose. It's good to be home uh, for a minute. Just kidding. <clears throat> it's a, a wonderful Lord's Day. We are uh, bringing our best in worship to God. Uh, my house uh, last night was full of, full of noise and, and joy and love and food. It's rare that there's any food in my house. <laughs> and it was wonderful uh, last night. And I hope you're enjoying uh, this uh, season the, between Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's, all that. Uh, don't, you can't blame the holidays on, on your weight because you're the same size that you were last week. And it's like, it, yeah. but anyway, enjoy those moments. And I really did enjoy those uh, last, uh, last night, especially the family all came home. And what a, what a wonderful time it was. <clears throat> There's an old uh, uh, Indian prayer that goes like this. Uh, before you criticize uh, your neighbor, don't do that until you've walked a mile in his moccasins. It's like, well, we all know what that is. We, we understand that concept, and we need to see things from the other's perspective, and sometimes that's very difficult. We, we put our, our priorities first, and we, we try to do things the way we like them, and we, we can rarely see things from another's perspective, but this old prayer, grant that I may not criticize my neighbor until I've walked a mile in his moccasins. We understand that concept. Now, <clears throat> let's, let's move that up a little bit. Let's move that up a notch, and let's consider this idea of, of viewing things from God's perspective. Imagine that, and I believe that's a good working definition of the word wisdom. Wisdom is viewing things from God's perspective. Think about that for just a moment. If you could see things the way He sees things, and is that even possible? And you wonder about that. And he says, I've given you insight into my mind. I've given you insight into what I think. We call that the Bible. And the more that we study the Bible, the more that we put the Bible into our hearts and minds, the more we begin to see things from God's perspective. And this then becomes this working definition of wisdom. And then I wonder, <clears throat> what does God think of me? You know, I've got uh, pictures that my grandkids have drawn and stuck on my fridge. And then I've got a wall in my house dedicated to the family. We've got pictures of the family. And I, I, I hold my family in high esteem, and I, I love them. And I, I look at their pictures, and it brings smile to my face and sometimes just outright laughter. <laughs> and <laughs> it's like, it's amazing to me to think that that is from my perspective. I look at my family, and I, I love them. Think about God. If God has a fridge, he's got your picture on it. <laughs> I don't, he doesn't have a fridge, uh, pretty sure. Uh, but he's got you, and he, he thinks of you. And uh, the beauty of, of the expressions from God, we don't have to wonder what he thinks. We don't have to guess what pleases him or displeases him. He's given us the information. He's given us 
insight into his very mind. Uh, the Scripture calls that the breath of God. It's inspiration. We don't have to wonder. It's been revealed to us, and it's, it's even been revealed to us in our own language. If, if you had to learn Greek, would you? <laughs> to know the mind of God, would you bother? We've been given it in our own language and several different uh, translations. Uh, maybe your favorite is the New American Standard. I believe that's the one that, that Noah brought off the ark. Uh, but uh, maybe yours is a different translation, the ESV or the NIV or the King James, the New King James, but it's all in our language. The, the revelation of God into his mindset, how he views things has been given to us. Now, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> We're going to see something, and I believe uh, uh, Craig mentioned this in his uh, presentation this morning about the Lord's Supper, and I find it interesting that how God uses uh, uh, individuals and, and puts different things in our minds and how they tie together. But I want us to read a passage here in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. Notice what he says. Uh, to the saints there in Ephesus. Uh, this I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. <clears throat> If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Notice <clears throat> these verses. Notice the mind of God. Here he says, I want you to see things from my perspective. Here's how I view people. And there's two kinds of people in God's view. <clears throat> there are two kinds of people. There are those that are described as the old Gentile life. And, and it's like they're, they're making these choices and they're, and they're being fooled in their own mindset and they're, they're wandering around in the darkness and it's almost like they're on this, this wild goose chase. <clears throat> what is a wild goose chase? Well, years ago when I was, I don't know if I was 9 or 10, I forget, I had a paper out, and Shadler, old, old Miss Shadler had geese in her yard, and I had to deliver papers into her yard. And I remember this one old gray goose that didn't like me. And the first couple of times that I went in there, I wasn't much bigger than that goose. And especially when they put their wings up and they run at you and they want to pinch you. And it's like, dude. I learned, however, that there's, <laughs> there's a way to treat them. And it's not pleasant. Uh, they don't like it. But you have, to have, you have to have a firm hand with a wild goose. And it's like, yep. He, he learned his lesson. He would make a racket, but he wouldn't bother me again because I... 
I had my way with him. I was like, I am going to take you out. And I drop kicked him across the field there, and he is like, what? <clears throat> but that goose, it's like that in, in the old Gentile mind. It's this wild goose chase, and, and we're all over the place, and we're, we're making a racket, and we're doing it our way, and we, we see things from our perspective. And he, and he describes it as this, this futility of their mind with, without real con- content and, and hollow, and it's this wild goose chase where we're just every direction. He says, not only are you on this wild goose chase and you're just winging it, literally, he says, you are darkened in your understanding. That includes our emotion, our intellect, warped and perverted. He says, this is who I, how I view people that have this mindset. <coughs> he says, you're resisting the very information that I've given you in the Scripture. You are putting up a a wall, and you're not allowing the, the revelation of God to, be, to penetrate your heart. You're darkened in your understanding. And this leads to exclusion. There's another passage earlier in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 12. When I study with people, I often take them to this passage, and I say, here's, here's where we begin. We've rejected God. We have, we've, we've turned our back on Him, and In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, You're separate from Christ. You're excluded. You're strangers. You have no hope. You're without God. These are horrible descriptions of God's view of people that reject Him. This is not good news. (laughs) You are in danger. And he says, You're excluded from the life of God. Whoa. You're excluded from from God as the source of eternal life. And you see, those who are outside of Christ have no eternal life. They they have nothing to look forward to except the wrath of God. That's it. That's one view of how people, or how God views people. He says, there's those that reject me. And he says, there's a reason for this. And he, he uses a phrase that reminds me immediately of an Old Testament Pharaoh. When you think about Pharaoh, the Scripture here in Ephesians chapter 4 says, their hearts hardened. Immediately, I would think of Ephesians, or uh, Exodus chapter 3. Immediately, I'd go back to the Old Testament. Immediately, I'd think of, of how Pharaoh hardened his heart. And Moses would say, let my people go. And the Scripture says, And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and Pharaoh's heart was hard, and it grew hard. And and finally, it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Whoa. That should scare us to death. There's a point where God says, that's what you want? Then that's what you'll get. (laughs) Okay, wow. Wow. That should frighten us. And there's reasons that we make these choices in our old life. The futility of our mind, darkened understanding, excluded from the life of God. Those are choices, and it's because of ignorance that is in us. And hardness of heart. Because of those choices. Like Pharaoh, there were certain consequences. And because of the choices that 
we make when we defy God and we reject Him, there's consequences. There's results based on our choices. These results are never good. There's never an uptick in the graph. There's never any time when it's a good thing when we reject God. The results of these choices always result in failure. He says, here are the results. First of all, you become callous. You're insensible to God's truth. Nothing can penetrate the callous. Those of you that work with your hands, those of you that have calluses on your hands, there's a reason that you have calluses. There's some guys that can reach into an oven with their hands and just almost take stuff out of there, and their hands are so callous, they don't even feel it. And there's, there's calluses in different places on your hands, and it's just interesting to think about that. You talk to Bonacamp or Mike Fallis and say, why do you have calluses on the tips of your fingers? I was like, why, why would you do that? How do you get calluses on the tips of your fingers? Well, you play the guitar, and you have calluses. And it, there's a reason. You don't, the pain isn't there when those strings are, are hard, and you push against those strings. Like, there's a result in our spiritual life like that. He says, your heart becomes callous, a condition of freedom from pain. And this gives you over to sensuality, your readiness for all pleasure. And all this pleasure is, is displayed in impurity. And you think about our society today, and you think about where our society is trending. This, this graph depicts our society. It's like we have rejected God as a society, and where does it lead it doesn't lead to anything good. And impurity is displayed in, in religion, in worship, in pleasure, in diversions, in business, in social relations, in politics, in public shows. And it all leads or all stems from this concept of greed. It's an outrageous, vile mess. This is God's view of those who reject Him and turn their back on him. Hmm. Some of my study, one of my favorite old dead friends in my library, I call my, my library uh, my old dead friends, and I, I go and, and glean information uh, from them. But a man by the name of Lins Linsky uh, had this to say in this particular uh, commentary on, in Ephesians uh, chapter 4. He says, what a picture. Men with thinking and willing minds, rational creatures, walking and walking on and on throughout life, following the dictates of a mind that leads them at every step and at the end to nothing, to monumental, tragic failure. <laughs> wow, thanks a lot. Cheer up, buddy. <laughs> no, there's no cheering up. There's no uptick. There's no swing where this is good news. When you are darkened in your understanding, when you're in the futility of your mind, when you're, you reject God, His view of you doesn't change. This is a glaring 
example, which all the Ephesian saints should avoid. Don't walk here. Don't do it. Now, thankfully, (laughs) there's good news. You're kind of like, seriously, (laughs) is there anything good? Yes, there is. And the little word, but, but you didn't learn Christ in this way. You didn't learn it this way. There's a contrast, and it's a severe contrast. You didn't learn Christ like that. (laughs) Because Christ would never be an advocate of sin and selfishness. When we learn Christ, we're, we're renewed, we're refined, we're purified. Remember the Great Commission, he says, go into all the world and baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then what? Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. It's a process. You can learn this process. You can learn his doctrines. You can look to Christ and you can say, okay, what do you expect from me? What do you require of me? You can learn him. Now that is work. (laughs) You don't just fall off the turnip truck and know this information. Is there a turnip truck? I don't know. Hopefully not ever at my house. (laughs) It's like, of all the vegetables, why would I pick that truck? But you can't just fall off a truck, get this information. You've got to open that book. You've got to make time. You've got to study this. You've got to learn Christ. Oh, sure, it's important to come and worship Him and, and learn some things on Sunday morning and, and uh, enjoy our fellowship and offer our songs and our worship to God, but it's like it's more than that. It's more than 33 minutes from a sermon. Anybody timing me? I don't know. 31? I don't know. Maybe more. <laughs> Probably more. It's more than that. It's more than 30 minutes. It's a lifetime. It's something that defines who you are. You can attain the knowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. The reason John wrote his gospel so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You can understand that Christ is in our nature The Bible tells us that we're created in God's image. When you look at yourself in the mirror, you see your reflection. But in there, in that reflection, if you've learned Christ, you begin to see Him. And the longer you learn, and the more you learn, the more you see, and the more others see. And then pretty soon, that defines you. He says, you can learn Christ. And you can know that holiness and life are found in Him. Truth is in Jesus. These saints had actually heard the gospel. They had actually been instructed in Him. And real truth only exists in Him. And you think about this contrast between the truth that they learned in Christ and then back in verse 18, the darkness There's that contrast, and he says there is this contrast between truth and and darkness. Jesus would go on to say, John chapter 10, I'm the light of the world. 
I, I bring light into darkness. Jesus can make this claim. And then we can reflect that light. He says, you didn't learn Christ in this way, but like that light switch in your kitchen or in your bedroom, there's a switch on the wall, and when you go in, you, you turn that switch on, and you, you expose the entire room to light. And he says, I want you to lay aside the old self, done once and once for all. And then I want you to put on Christ. It's like taking off the old dirty clothes, and then you don't just put them in the laundry, you throw them away. You ever had clothes so dirty that you threw them away? That's what you do with the old self. You literally throw him away. Then you put on Christ. And this is also done once. And he says, there's a moment in history, in your history, when you make that choice to put the Lord on. And where is that choice made? Well, in the waters of baptism. He says, here's a reminder of your old self. You're corrupted. You were uh, involved with lusts of deceit. And it's like you've been renewed in the spirit of your mind. That renewal causes you to live differently, causes you to talk differently, causes you to think differently. Paul would write to this, little, this, old, this young preacher named Titus, and he would say, I want you to be doing good, denying ungodliness, living soberly. It's an action. And you've turned off the old self, you've turned on the new, and it's like a renewal, and it's a strenuous effort. It's a complete basic change. A detachment from the world and an attachment to our Lord. You're put uh, in the very likeness of God. You're created in righteousness, created in holiness. And it's a beautiful experience. And it's a lifelong experience. So from God's perspective, from His perch, if you will, There is something that God sees about these two kinds of people. There are those who are totally corrupt. There are those that are unacceptable, darkened in the understanding, excluded from the life of God, ignorant, hard-hearted. Do not choose to be that kind of person. (laughs) It's a choice. But he says... I have a different view of the new man, of the new woman, the one that finds themselves in Christ. They've made this choice to be different. They are righteous. They are holy. They are acceptable to God. What a contrast. Unacceptable, acceptable. There's only two options. (laughs) And the beauty of this is you get to choose. And there's one way. There isn't a multitude of ways. There isn't uh, uh, all sorts of different paths, and we all get there eventually. That's the biggest lie that Satan has foisted on mankind. He says, no, there's one way, and it's through Christ. Jesus would say it. 
I am the way. Jesus didn't say, I'm one of the ways. He didn't say, I am a way. He said, I am the way. One way. We bought into this lie of tolerance and we put up with everybody's disbelief and unbelief and it's like, does God? <laughs> nope. He told us. We've been exposed to the very mind of God. He says, this is, this is what pleases me. Get in Christ. <laughs> There's one way. You must come in contact with His blood. And then you must ask, well, how is that even possible? Well, the Scripture is very plain about that as well. He says, change the direction of your mind. In, in your mindset, you need to come to a, a, a rational conclusion that the direction you're headed is wrong. <laughs> it's away from God. The repent word is the 180-degree turn. Repent. That's step one. Decide in your mind, I'm going to return to God. And you know what God does? As soon as you return, as soon as you turn, He's right there. And He says, now take the next logical step. Be immersed. Why? So you can come in contact with my, my son's blood. God says, that's the only direction. That's the one way in. He says, then you put away the old man and you put on the new man. The whole concept of the letter to the Ephesian saints is this new man. How do I get in there? Well, I'm baptized into Christ. But those, those of us that have already made this decision, those of us that have come in contact with the blood of Christ, we recognize that God has removed our sin. This drives us to even more action. It's important to do these elementary steps. These are just the third grade concept of Christianity. This is simple. The next, now that, it motivates us on to good work. And this motivation then, because we've been and come in contact with the blood of Christ, because He has saved us from our sin, because He views us now as righteous and holy, now I'm motivated. Now I'm motivated to do His work. I become His feet. I become His hands. I become His mouth. I become His eyes and His ears. And I'm in the world. And I'm, I'm sharing this information with others, as many people as I can. And there are, there are times when people just reject me. Okay, I'm in good company. Did everyone that came into contact with Christ... Obey Him? So even Christ couldn't get everybody. <laughs> okay? What about Paul? What about John? What about the other apostles? It's like, we're in good company. So press on. Be motivated. And think about these words and think about these, these actions that we can be involved in because we've come in contact with the blood of Christ. Now that motivates us. Tells many people as we know about God's amazing gift and this knowledge then motivates us to serve as many people. You want to be the greatest in the kingdom? 
Oh, you need a title for that. You got to be a preacher. No. Here's exhibit A. No, you don't need a title. You need to be a servant of all. That's what Jesus says about leadership. He says, you want to be the greatest? Get down on your hands and knees and wash those dirty feet. Here's the creator of the universe with a bowl of dirty water. Remember what Peter said? Oh, no, no, no. You're not touching my feet. Jesus says, fine. Then you'll have no part of me. And what did Peter say to that? I need a, I need a bath. Yep. This should motivate us to good work because this is God's view of us. So let's get busy. <laughs> let's do the work of the Lord. Let's, let's share this information because if you're in Christ, you've got great news. If you're not, get in. <laughs> it's really that simple. I said it's third grade decision. You can make that decision about the time you're third or fourth grade. It's like, eh, I've heard this quite a bit. I understand what I have to do. But then the lifetime service that Jesus expects from us. Hmm. That's where it gets interesting. So are you in? Are you in Christ? Have you been clothed with Christ? If not, do so today. If you're in, stay in and press on to good works. Whatever your situation is, if it needs to be made public, do so now while together we stand and sing the song. It's been selected.